We are entering into a new series um, called Beloved, and originally, I we had three weeks before we turned our attention to the Christmas season, and I thought, I'll do a week on 1st John, a week on 2nd John, and a week on 3rd John. And then I read 1st John, and I said, okay, I'll do three weeks on 1st John. <laughs> and then I read it again, and I'm like, oh, brother, uh, what do I do? So I don't know what we're going to do. For now, we're in 1st John, and we'll see how we'll get his, some portion of 1st John done. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1st John, uh... It's at the end of the Bible, so if you get to Revelation, well, if you get to the index, you've gone too far, but it's just before Revelation. Um, It's a short letter. And while you're turning there, I'll I'll share a little bit about how I grew up in church. As a a boy, I was in church often. I was sort of raised well in in a culture of faith. One thing that came out of that, however, was uh, just about any question you got, I got asked. I don't know how true this is. It's what I remember. Just about any question I got asked in Sunday school, the answer was Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus, the Bible, or God. You could, and you didn't even have to know. Like if you're new here and you're going to go to Sunday school, shoot with one of those. Uh, you know, particularly as a kid, I, I sort of felt that way. Like Jesus was the answer, always the answer. And there can be, when you're raised around something a lot, there can be a a spirit of casuality that shows up, which can have its own problems, by the way. Like John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I had memorized that. I could recite it. I would see how fast I could recite it. I mean... So I have some regrets in that sense of, of missing the deeper things of the faith for a time. I was a child, right? I thought like a child, and I acted like a child. But I, I do take away the fact that uh, how often Jesus was the answer to the question. I think it contributes maybe to a, um, sometimes how Christians can sound irrelevant to folks, uh, when we prescribe Jesus to every ailment, and they're like, "I don't need Jesus. I need. I don't even know what that means. Like, I need help." Um, at the same time, on other issues in the church, as I've grown up in life, we're far more subtle and nuanced. So we're very bold to proclaim Jesus. It's the answer for this and the answer for this and the answer for this and the answer for this. But when it comes to like preaching the truths of God about all the various sorts of expressions of sexuality, about finances, tithe, we get very, very careful, very nuanced, very subtle. For good reasons, maybe for not so good reasons, but there's places in the faith where we're very bold about the answer, and there's places in the faith where we're very quiet about the answer. And John, in this book, is the opposite, (laughs) I feel. He's subtle where we're bold, I feel, and he's bold where we're subtle. And it feels awkward when you hear him write. 
Okay, he's going to push you around a little bit. I would encourage you just to enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's refreshing, actually, to get pushed around a bit. And, and I, I think once we understand what he's saying, it, it, he's saying the same thing that, that the church has long said. So let's go ahead and look. Oh, by the way, this series is just, it's not topical. It's dead center on what is the faith. I mean, this is Christianity 101. And so, you know, all of the Sundays we'll be here, we're sort of just angled in on what's at the heart of who we are. And I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm hopeful that if you're here and you've, you may be thought you were a Christian and you may come out of this. I'm not hoping this is the case, but I am hoping that truth is seen. So if you discover, I thought I was Christian, but maybe I'm not. I think that would be a great discovery. Likewise, if you're here and you're not sure about the faith, I hope you hear it clearly. Uh, John really, he's one of the greats in the way he writes. So it's just beautiful. Okay. We're going to start just reading kind of verse by verse. <clears throat> this is First uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now we can stop there. This is a fairly difficult passage in the Greek. And so if you don't even if you were using a different translation of the Bible, it may have even arranged it quite a bit differently. It's not difficult because it's hard to understand what he's trying to do. It's difficult because what he's trying to do doesn't express itself very easily. He's describing an idea before he ever gets to the idea. In fact, it's more, a little more startling than it even shows up the way I read it. This would be, this might be a little bit more to the heart of what's kind of popping out of the, of the original language. It was since the beginning. We heard it. We saw it. We looked upon it. We touched it. I'm talking about the word of life. That's what he's saying. Now, I know what the answer is. I'm, oh, that's Jesus. <laughs> I know the answer. You know the answer. We all know the answer. He doesn't give us the answer. He doesn't even use the right gender. It's a neuter gender here. It was since the beginning. It's not he who was from the beginning. It, it was. That which was from the beginning. We heard it. We saw it. We looked on it. We touched it. He's talking about the word of life. I know the answer, but he's being a little more subtle. In fact, I mean, I don't want to press this too far, but just in, our, in our own context, I, I do know this. I don't think the world is looking for Jesus. I think the world is looking for meaning. The world is looking for life, abundant life. However they want to say that, the secret of life, hope in life, meaning in life. Just about everybody 
and every land and every time zone wants to find meaning in life. And I feel like John is starting with that. He'll get to Jesus. But to if someone's looking for the meaning of life and we just say Jesus is the answer, I don't know if we've done all that much good for them. We need to lead them to Jesus. And so he's starting, John's starting with something that's in us. He's saying, you know that idea, this meaning of life? Well, we heard it. We saw it with our eyes. We looked on it, we touched it. We touched life. That's awesome. I mean, sometimes the word is just allowed to be beautiful. John tucks Jesus away. I know, I know he's the answer, but his name does not even show up until the very end of the third verse. Behind the notion of life, there's something. And he's going to say, We saw this, this idea of the word of life became a thing. Look at verse two. The life was made manifest and we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us. The idea, what he's saying is the idea of life became a real thing. I mean, in your mind and in my mind, we have the notion of life. John is saying it actually became a substantial object. The idea became real. And I'm here to tell you about it. I want to proclaim to you that I saw life, the meaning of life, manifest in this world. I touched it. Three and four build out the the proclamation. That which we have seen, you see it's still an it. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Here we go, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John says, there's this thing, this life, this word of life, this this idea of eternal life. He ends up saying eternal life. It's an idea that it's in the hearts of people, all people. And he says, well, I need to tell you something. We actually heard it and saw it and touched it and handled it. And I want to tell you about it. And when I tell you about it, I am inviting you into, the word he uses is fellowship. You're welcome into fellowship with me about it. And when you fellowship with us, you're going to fellowship with the Father and the Son. 
Now that surprises me. That just go from the thought of, I want to proclaim this to you, and the fruit of this proclamation may be fellowship. Fellowship is an interesting word. Usually in my mind it means potluck. (laughs) It's more than relationship. I have all sorts of relationships with things that I don't fellowship with. So for John to say in our proclamation, in our proclaiming who life is, when we proclaim to you the manifest nature of Christ as being life. And you come into this, you're not just in relationship with us and God, you fellowship. Fellowship is a far more intimate word. The fellowship, I mean, the Greek itself actually means like to have things in common, to be of one, to be together, to be joined. It can be intimate, like a husband and a wife. The same word can define that sort of relationship. The sort of co-interestedness, the co-mingling, that's fellowship here. In other words, to know that God has sent life and made it manifest on earth in the person of Jesus. To know that and believe that doesn't simply put you in relationship to God, it brings you into deep fellowship with him. And through that, your joy is complete. Now, That's the picture. The message is found through a man. And the fruit of belief is fellowship. Now, the reason John is doing this, because, again, it's a a subtle thing, but the reason he's doing this is, if you are to continue reading the book of 1 John, you'll find out there's a problem in the church. There's a problem at work. Inside the fellowship, there are detractors. There are people who are pulling others away And in their mind, they have decided that in order to be right before the Lord, whatever that means, in order to have life, okay, the good life, this eternal life, in order to have that, you do not need fellowship, nor do you need Jesus. So a little bit later in the book, John's going to say, there were those who were here who've gone out from us. They weren't ever of us, but they've gone out from us. And in going out, they are not of us. He's going to say that because what they think they have is they think they have a better idea and this idea doesn't need to fellowship with the Lord. You just need to know it like a mystery, like a secret, like a philosophical or intellectual secret to life. And you certainly don't need Christ. And John is writing to place Christ back into the center. This may sound strange. I think it's actually quite modern, quite contemporary for us. I think by and large, what was once thought of as American Christianity is largely impersonal deism. There's actually a word for it. 
There's a phrase for it. The clinical phrase for what post-Christian America is, is moral therapeutic deism. It's actually an acronym. You know, like in the seminary circles, talk about MTD. It is. Moral therapeutic deism. Okay? They have gone out from the fellowship and they have left Christ. The thinking has. The notion is there is a God, some kind of God, and people incubate the notion of God so that it makes them feel good about what, they, what they're doing. The purpose of this theistic God is to make them, give them moral therapy. That is not fellowship, and that does not need Jesus. So it's very relevant to us. It's, it's part of our culture. And what John is going to do is John's going to start to build up sort of a case. He's going to weld shut doors away from Christ to say this is not consistent. And this morning we're going to look at three of them real quick. Here's the first one. It's in five. I'm going to read five through seven. And I might caption this reading with, fellowship with God is based on truth and goodness. Fellowship with God is based on truth and goodness. Let me read here. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, he's done being subtle. (laughs) Now, he's saying God is light, and if you open the word and read through the word, you'd see all different sorts of ways that God and light, there's all sorts of symmetry there. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. And out of that light came all life and creation. So from the very beginning of the Bible, since the beginning, this pattern has been working through. But I think what John is largely doing right now is referring to light in the sense of the moral universe. Light being truth, light being goodness. God is good, and in him is no error. God is holy, and in him is no sin. God is righteous, and in him is nothing that is not entirely righteous. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, and to think that you're in the Lord and yet not walking in his righteousness makes you a liar. It's not subtle. Now, when we hear that, it kind of pushes us around. It says, does this saying that I have to be righteous? Because I'm not that righteous. You all know, we all have our list of things we're working on. Right? I'm not that righteous. He's not saying you have to be perfectly righteous. In fact, verse 7 presupposes that you're not righteous. For if you walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and what happens? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Right? The assumption is you're not perfect. So that can't be what he's saying. He cannot be saying that we need to walk in the light is equivalent to being perfect. So what's he saying? I'll give you an example from 
this world. I, I'm 42. About two years ago, I realized I was mortal. You know, like up until that point, you know, I could play pickup basketball. Now they pick me up after basketball, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking, how many days is this going to cost me? Or, you know, I, if I sprint my hammy, I feel it in my hammy. And a couple, you know, this past summer, I had sort of a, like a medical scare, and there I am, and I had to drink all this nasty stuff and do, they call it a CAT scan. And they're looking at my body, trying to understand what's wrong. And I had this thought, like as I'm laying in this machine, which is, I don't think this is a good idea. They might find something. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's an irrational thought. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had it. You've likely had it when you brought the car into the mechanic. You bring it in for the 50000 but you don't want to bring it in, because if you bring it in, what's going to happen? They're going to find it. Like, I don't want to bring it to the mechanic because then he will do what? He'll open the hood and he'll shine a light on it. And in the light of the mechanic, he'll see what's wrong. I don't want to go to the dentist because the dentist is going to look in my mouth and shine a light in my mouth. And when the dentist shines a light in my mouth, they'll see what's wrong. When the doctor shines a light, right, that's what it means to walk in the light. We walk, to walk in the light is to know that God is good, to accept his righteousness for what it is, and to live in it in such a way that what he doesn't... The light of God is not like a kitchen light that you turn on where the cockroaches scurry and the Lord squashes them. That's not the picture. It's the light of an operating room. It's the perfect light of God that sees you for who you really are and gets to work to save you The blood of Jesus Christ only in his light can save you from sin. Many years ago, early on in marriage, um, it was the front end of a a long life struggle with my thought life and what I look at on the internet, sorts of pictures I allow into my mind. So it was sort of chapter one of dealing with all of that. You know, words like addiction show up in my mind. And I was visiting with someone who was close to me, and I shared, hey, I don't want to be this way. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I don't want this <laughs> God also. And they said to me, why, why do you think that's wrong? And I said, well, it's in the Bible. And he said, no, I think, I think you're okay. I don't think you need to work on it. Confessing believer said, no, no, if it makes you feel good, do it. We can choose whether we walk in the light. If you claim to know him and avoid his searchlight, you're lying. That's what John's saying. He's not saying you've got to be perfect. He's saying God shines his light to save your life. Do you run from it? 
Here's the next picture. I would caption this next picture with fellowship with God is based upon awareness of sin. So first one, fellowship with God is based upon his awareness of his goodness. Fellowship with God is based upon our awareness of sin. Look at verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. We'll get to that word. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He's not subtle anymore. If you say you're not a sinner, you're making a liar of God, he says. Now, I think at some level we'd say, well, who who says they don't sin? Of course we do things wrong. But I will tell you, in reality, many people, they may not claim to be perfect, but they will certainly claim to be good enough. I mean, I, I, we have all likely heard, well, I didn't kill anybody. Like, I never did anything that wrong. I'm not guilty of murder. I'm not Hitler. That is a notion. So you may not, you may not actually say that you haven't sinned, but you may have set the threshold of sinfulness so low, <laughs> wrong way, so low, that you, f- you comparatively feel righteous, which is a way of saying that you do not need Jesus. That's when he says, if you're going to make this claim, you're making God out to be a liar. Now, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody deny the, the light-shining goodness of God as something they would want to be in? Or why would someone deny the intrinsic sinfulness of their spirit is something that is in need of cure. Well, they're doing it because they don't know or don't trust in what Jesus came to do. For us, to admit guilt is to be subject to punishment. So we work ourselves out to say, well, I may be guilty, but I'm not nearly as guilty as all those other people, and if God's gonna save anybody, he's gonna save me. We do that sort of math. Where what, what, what John shows us here is, is our only hope with the Father comes by acknowledging our sinfulness. What happens when we're sinful? What happens when we know we're sinful? It says in nine, if we confess our sins, it doesn't say if you, when you admit your sins, then you're ready for the smiting wrath of God. No. In verse nine, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Later on, he says, if anyone does sin, we have what? An advocate is the word. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus walks alongside of us. He's our ally. He is on our side. He goes before the Father and makes our case is the image. More than that, it says he's our, the big word is propitiation. That means He turns the wrath of God away from us. 
he steps in. Right, because God is light and in him is no darkness. So God cannot just excuse your sin. What would that be? That's not right. John says it doesn't have to happen that way. Jesus steps in. He walks with you to the Lord in truth, in his light, as your friend in fellowship. You see, the word of life is not an idea. It's a man who shed his blood and he walks with us and then when the guilty verdict is laid, he steps in and satisfies it. You don't have to worry about being guilty with Christ. We can at last be honest about who we are before a holy God. Here's the last image. Last thing, I would say this fellowship with God is based upon right, righteous imitation. Verse three, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. No more subtlety. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is where Jesus is not an answer to a question. Jesus is not a concept. When we know what he's done, we are to fellowship with him. And to fellowship with him means to be of one mind, to be in agreement, to have things in common, to walk like him. He who came to us and walked calls us to walk like him. John is not He's obviously not demanding that tomorrow you wake up and you're perfect. I mean, it would, that would fly in the face of everything he's already said here. He's saying it's inconsistent for someone to lean on the mercy of Christ and yet not want to imitate the life of Christ. He says that, that's a false life. It's a false claim. We don't simply have salvation from Christ, we have fellowship. And that allows, that allows us to walk in the light of a perfectly good God. And that allows us in that light to see us exactly as who we really are, without fear. And it allows us to call the Lord friend because he's our advocate. He's on her side. And that is the center of the faith. That is Christianity. You know, there's traditions and there's colors and there's holidays and there's outfits and attire and there's songs we sing. But we worship in the light of God because we have the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. He's not an idea. He's a man. He was touched and he was heard and he was seen. And he's come to be our advocate. I'm going to pray. I'm going to close this service with a prayer. Uh, just an opportunity for you to begin to respond, Lord. 
I pray that each one of us would see you more truly. That we would not be fearful of your illuminating light. The examination of the Spirit, Lord. We would welcome it, I pray. Knowing that you haven't left us alone. Knowing that you're not going to stomp us out. Knowing that you've come to save us, heal us. Remind us, Lord, that we do not find joy in an idea. We find joy in a man who is made manifest through the Father. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's not been able to allow these things to settle in together, Lord, I pray you would use this this scripture to bring peace to their heart so that they might turn to you and ask them, ask you to save them. Because you yourself said here, not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name.